step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Grief and anger converge in Florida. I'm Pam Puso, Fox News. As funerals are held for the victims of the Florida high school shooting, the FBI is facing serious questions about how a tip from the public fell through the cracks. This rock-solid lead had come into their tip line about six weeks ago uh, that talked about Nicholas Cruz, about his gun ownership, about all of these uh, things that could have led to this. And that lead was next on to the Miami field office. Uh, and it just... It it's really, really, really looks bad for the FBI. Let's go ahead and give you just... The following reflects neither the policies nor the thoughts of iHeartMedia or its employees. But we think it's probably a good idea to listen to it anyway. Money Sense is a presentation of Kirsten Wealth Management Group. As managing partners of Kirsten Wealth Management Group, your hosts, Dennis Kirsten, Brad Kirsten, and Kevin Kirsten, are professional financial advisors with LPL Financial with over 75 years of combined experience. They can be reached in their Perrysburg offices at 419-872-0067 or 800-875-1786. Their email address is kirstenwealth at lpl.com. Also, visit their website at kirstenwealth.com. Opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your financial advisor prior to investing. Securities are offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC. Good morning and welcome to Money Sense. You're listening to the advisors of Kirsten Wealth Management Group, Kevin Kirsten and Brad Kirsten. Happy to be with you this morning. Brad, uh, bounce back week uh, on the overall market and uh, all of a sudden uh, all the fears and concerns and sky is falling has gone away. But uh, certainly there's still a, uh, quite a bit of risk out there. We want to talk about uh, where that risk lies and also talk about uh, uh, with a level head uh, where the market where the market currently is, where it where it should be, and where it might be going. But uh, when you when you look at this week, you know best week since 2013 is the headline in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, of course, last week was worst week since I don't know when. Uh, you certainly want to make sure you keep a level head throughout these volatile. Uh, when the market gets a little bit more volatile, uh, we are really only about three percent from the all time high at this point. Mm-hmm. After a 10% correction, so, you know, one of the things that I do like about many of these things is ending the conversation about the streak. Mm, yeah. That we've yeah. Gone however so many, long however without, many yeah. yeah, exactly. However many days since this, we've gone this many days without a 5% correction, this many days without a 10% correction, this many days where we've had record low volatility. I, I, I love ending the streak so you can just look at the market and say, where... Where is it? And, and, and should it what is fair value based on earnings as opposed to looking at streaks and things like that? We, the valuation of the market might have us getting more conservative like we were in January and the, and the February 2nd in a lot of accounts, too. But the streak shouldn't matter. I mean, what if what if we go down and right back up and people open up their February statement and they're right where they were 
Did, did it matter? Did well, that's this, did, that's did, why did I, ending the streak matter. Well, that, but that's why I think it's so it's valuable to end those streaks. Yeah. So those conversations and and the media outlets don't push that agenda out there. I mean, I often come back to the streak about the bear market, which they like to go back to 2009. And just because over the last 50 or 100 years, we arbitrarily decided that a bear market is exactly 20%. And in 2011, we got to 19.9 on a closing basis. All of a sudden, that streak is nine years instead of seven years on the bear market. Mm -hmm. So that's irrelevant. Where, where, where is the market compared to earnings? Where is the market compared to interest rates? And is it fairly, fairly valued, undervalued, overvalued? What areas are fairly valued, undervalued, overvalued? That's all that matters. And that'll be the discussion today. So st- stick with us through the whole show because we're going to talk about there are parts that are overvalued and there are parts that are undervalued. And it is not just set it and forget it and buy every part of the market. And I see a lot of portfolios where the advisors are doing just that. Let me give someone the the allocation that historically you should have a little bit in every every category i think we're getting to extremes where we need to eliminate some of these areas because they're so overvalued and when we get the market sell-offs we're, those are going to be the ones that sell off and don't come back because of this overvalued so let's look at the week here uh, almost six percent on the s p 500 brad leaders uh technology again uh leader off the low mm-hmm. uh followed by financials followed by uh, the materials sector, and then uh, industrials and the consumer, followed by, uh, well, that's that's basically the top four. What was the worst? Uh, energy uh, was the worst off the bottom, uh, followed by consumer staples. So Still when positive you, when energy you look- on, on the week, but uh, had the worst, uh, call it one month, uh, down about 12%. When you look internationally, not as much of a rally this week on the international markets. Uh, emerging markets were uh, almost uh, 4%. Uh, large cap developed markets were only about 2%. And they didn't go down as much as we did. Mm-hmm. So you would expect the snapback to not be as significant. Year-to-date, the market uh, S&P 500 is now up uh, 2.5%. And so you have uh, the S&P 500 notching a pretty decent gain considering we're six weeks into the year. If you had told me we're up 2.5% six weeks in, I'd be pretty pleased with that uh, if you if you told me that on December 31st. Mm-hmm. Um, one interesting thing that we're going to talk about here, just throw these numbers out, and then we're going to talk more about this as the show moves on. You look at the three-year averages of various areas of the market. Now, we talk a lot on this show about growth versus value, small caps versus large caps, also international. Uh, I just want to throw some of these three-year numbers out, and then uh, later on in the show, we'll get more into it. But on a three-year basis, large cap growth has averaged almost 14% a year. On a three-year basis, the worst category is mid-cap value at 7.7% per year. Now, many people might look at that and say, whether they're looking in their 401k and, and a lot of times in your 401k, if you don't know the differences between the asset classes, you might look at large cap growth on a three-year basis versus mid cap value and say, well, large, that manager must just be better. He's just a better, He's manager. just a better yeah. manager. So we're going to talk about that because the long-term returns um, don't really bear out what's happened here in the last one, two, three years. So, um, and also, when you look at the three-year number, look at the three-year number on uh, large foreign, not nearly as good, only about 7%. Emerging markets is about 97 So 
when you, we want to talk a little bit more about that, but let's just wrap up the week here. Uh, any other thoughts or comments, yeah. Brad? Volatility has come down uh, in the in the last week, so that that well, fear, you know, it, fear it, index has come down quite the a bit. Fear, well, sure, the uh, the VIX, but it's amazing that we even call it volatility because we did have a volatile week. Just volatile to the upside, but we don't call that volatility. We had four straight one percent up days. That's pretty volatile. You know, it's one. That's my de- that's my definition of vol- volatility is. But somehow we don't call it that. So you had you had the last time we had four straight up update, five straight updates where four were over a percent. October of eighty two. So when you talk about having to go back in time to to have a historical reference, this one goes back pretty far to have a week like we just had. And there's, I think we got to probably Thursday before you didn't hear about, oh, we're going to retest the low again. I, you know, who knows what the news is going to be, but there's a lot of these strategies that we were talking about who are piling out, trying to protect, protect someone against a big downturn. A lot of those are not back in for the beginning of it. Maybe they're back in partially by the end of this week, but if the market keeps moving, they'll finally be back in. And did they prevent another 08? Well, we didn't have another 08. So all they did was they locked in some losses and didn't participate on the way back up. And so I think people will open up their March ending statement and say, well, I guess I'm up a little and not have any awareness of what the actual market is up. And that's the real cost of some of these strategies or the real cost of any of those investments that are going to have their computer program to pull you out. It's the cost of not performing. Well, and there's there's a lot of those strategies out there. And if you're hearing from your advisor things like circuit breakers or don't worry if the market's, market starts going down, we have uh, uh, ways to sell you out. Um, I have never in my entire career seen a strategy where people can time the market and get you in and out of, say, a cash position successfully. And the last two weeks is a perfect example of that. If someone had a circuit breaker system, okay, you are probably down six or seven percent year to date and the market's up two and a half. Why? Because you wrote it all the way down, you sold out and then you didn't have enough time to get back in. And yes, Many of these systems came, like you said, Brad, from 2008 because it was a two-plus-year sell-off that if you had gotten out after the first 10% correction, mm-hmm. you would you would be in a, in a good situation. Here's the problem. There are at least one, on average, 10% correction every single year. How many minus 40s are there? Two. Uh, well, uh, I, I, you 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 have thirty two. Well, you twenty nine, thirty two, thirty seven. You have seventy four. You have o two, and you have o eight. The problem is, though, even with seventy four and with o eight, there's some there's some head fakes where you're getting back in as the market rallies, only to participate more on the way down if you're participating well, in those strategies. And, and so a negative forty might be a negative. You know, forty for you because I, you're getting back in. I think the bigger problem is this, Brad. In in all but about two of those years, and probably 1929 and, and 2008, mm-hmm. yep. you could have had just as much, if not more, protection by overweighting specific areas of the market. For example, the overall market dropped tremendously in 02. Value stocks did not drop nearly as much, if at all, in that time frame. Small cap value was up 22% in 2000 and up 11 in That's right. So, so really, you have pretty much two years, twenty nine and two thousand and eight, separated by eighty years, 
And yet many people are designing entire investment strategies. They're doing seminars and they're, and they're telling people that they should invest this way. Yet this is something that happens twice mm-hmm. every hundred years. I mean, think about all the other areas of your life where if you designed everything you did around something that happens twice every hundred years. Mm-hmm. And I often say, you know, for, for many people, it, it gets even worse, whether they're talking about gold or, or, or whatever. And if it's a portion of someone's portfolio, I guess I can live with it. But, you know, many people put their whole life savings there. If you're going to design your whole strategy in retirement, and your whole life savings around something that 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 will do well when the world comes to an end, I'd make the argument that if if what you're saying is really true. If you feel like the stock market's going to zero and everything's going to be horrible, then it really won't matter what you own at that mm-hmm. point. Because mm-hmm. if you really think that every single corporation in this country can go bankrupt simultaneously and anything you have buried in the backyard is going to be any valuable to right. you, you're crazy there. So, but, I, let, let me make this point, though, too, because as we're having this discussion, I don't want anyone to think that we're not making adjustments because I just sat down with somebody on Friday where we were looking at the adjustments we made just this year. So one of them was on January 17th to make our uh, bonds more conservative, getting rid of high yield in in this particular portfolio. And then the other was on February 2nd to get rid of mid-cap growth to go to bonds. So both of those were to get more conservative. One was a 5% allocation change. The other was a 7.6% allocation change. And this week week alone to add mid-cap value and small-cap value as well yeah. in, in a different set of portfolios, but still uh, still, still a, a, a valuable move. But, but this was the discussion, though. This, this was getting more conservative prior to the market drop. And their question was, how did you know the market was going to drop? But we didn't. We just knew that the market was a little overvalued at that point. And had the market kept going and kept going up by March and April, we would have done even more. And had it kept going, we would have done even more. And when you get the drop, you already have dry powder. So you shouldn't be making these adjustments after the market drops. You should be doing it before. And after the market drops, you should be going the other way, not out, but in. Right. And it is. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. The exact opposite of what a lot of these strategies are designed to do. Well, that's right, Brad. And you need to think contrarian, think in a lot of, th- think, think the opposite of your gut. And you're right. 
you don't know when the eventual correction is going to happen. Okay. And exactly what you said, I'd love to sit there and say, oh yeah, we knew we, because we, we did make a good, we did make a good trade. It's the whole point though. We did make a good trade. Any advisor who does make a good trade and says they knew exactly where the market's going, they're lying. Nobody knows where the market's going to go. But what you, what you go with is the probability. Yeah. Okay. If it, if it doesn't rain in Toledo, Ohio for two months, might be good to start banking on rain. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and there are areas of the market that are overvalued, and it's time to start lightening up. And it seems like no one is. And when we take over portfolios from other advisors, they're doing the opposite. They're well, no, because, because what most advisors want to do is show someone that, hey, look, everything you own, the one and three-year average annual return is tremendous. Uh, look at all these great things I picked for you. But what many people will see is the performance of their own account does not match the performance of the individual funds they own. Why? Because they just got into those yeah. investments. You they just, just bought it in September it, yes, at the be, end of the rally. Because it looked good. Yeah. I mean, quite frankly, I would much rather uh, – it would would much rather see some things that have underperformed. And when you're making these comparisons too, Brad, you need to make sure you're making apples to apples comparisons. And mm-hmm. and I mentioned this earlier, we're gonna get more into it after the break. But if you're looking at your four oh one K and you're looking at the large cap growth fund and you compare it to the small cap value fund and then you simply say, Well, that manager is better, that's not necessarily true. Now it is possible Mm-hmm. That you have a bad small cap value manager and a great large cap growth manager. But here's another possibility that no one would ever think. It is possible that you could have a three-year average return on the large cap growth that is much better than the small cap value. And it's possible that the large cap growth manager is worse as a manager than small cap value. And we're, when we come back for the break, I'm going to talk about how that could possibly be mm-hmm. that the return is better but the manager is worse. Mm-hmm. You're listening to Money Sense. Kevin and Brad Kirsten will be back with you after the break. Whatever your financial goals, working with an independent financial advisor acting as your fiduciary has the potential to improve your chances of success. At Kirsten Wealth Management Group, we stay on top of the economy and markets so you don't have to. Using sophisticated planning tools and extensive research, we build long-term strategies that balance your financial objectives, time horizon, and risk tolerance. To find out more, contact Dennis, Brad, or Kevin at Kirsten Wealth Management, 419-872-0067. Securities and advisory service Offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA, SIPC. It's hard to tell whose best interests some financial advisors have in mind. Our financial advice is based on fees, not commissions, because Kirsten Wealth Management offers no proprietary investment product. We are free to choose products that best meets clients' needs, which help to preserve the integrity of our investment advice, because we follow a fiduciary standard. Our only goal is to help you reach yours. For more information or schedule a consultation, call Dennis, Brad, or Kevin at Kirsten Wealth Management, 419-872-0067. Security and advisory service offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA, SIPC. The amount of information available to today's investor means the big picture can be overwhelming. At Kirsten Wealth Management Group, we help you sort through the clutter, bring your investment goals into focus, and design a portfolio to help you meet them. We stay focused on the one thing that matters most, finding well-management investments one at a time through intensive financial analysis and hands-on research. For more information or to schedule a consultation, call Dennis Brad or Kevin Kirsten at 419-872-0067. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC. 
With Americans enjoying longer and more productive retirement than ever, you need an investment portfolio that continues to work for you. At Kirsten Wealth Management Group, they specialize in solid, dependable financial advice designed to help you work toward your objectives in retirement. Whether your personal situation requires low-volatility liquid assets or longer-term investments with potentially higher investment returns, it's important to first discuss your options with a trusted financial advisor. For more information or to schedule a consultation, call Dennis, Brad, or Kevin Kirsten at 419-872-0067. Securities offered through LPL Financial Member FINRA SIPC. Welcome back to the show. You're listening to the advisors of Kirsten Wealth Management Group. Kevin Kirsten and Brad Kirsten, if you want to get in touch with us throughout the week, our office is in Perrysburg, 419-872-0067. Give us a call, uh, set up a consultation. Be happy to sit down and go over your uh, retirement plans. Brad, uh, one thing we're talking about uh, this uh, a lot lately is the idea of growth versus value. And it's really growth sectors versus value sectors in these these. Uh, Active managers or the indexes, uh, when you're looking at these categories in your 401k, or you're looking at it as your choice for what you can invest in in your own account. And and let's let's start with the fact. Let's start with a couple of uh, statistical truths. Mm-hmm. Okay, throughout history. Okay, a statistical truth is that small companies outperform long large companies over the long term. Mm-hmm. That's a fact. Mm-hmm. Okay. Small companies, and I haven't gotten to growth or value yet, small companies have a higher, what I say risk, that I'll, I'll just say it first and I'll explain what I mean by that. They have a higher risk than larger companies over the long term in that they have a bigger spread differential in the their in their returns. Best year versus worst exactly. year. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. The, the, the low years are lower, the high years are higher. That, that's called the standard deviation. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get too much into that, but that's what it is. So if your yeah. low years are lower yeah. and your high years are higher, that's a bigger standard, de- standard deviation than large caps. So that is one but over risk. time, yep. small caps will do better. Yep. Okay? Growth versus value. Before we talk about what those areas are, over time, they're a, they're about the same. Mm-hmm. Value is actually a little bit better. Yeah, depends when you, what period of time. If you see any chart that says growth better, you're probably looking at a more narrow, you know, five year chart, seven year chart, something like that. But over that. 50, 60, 70, 80 years, it's actually value, but barely. But yeah. barely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what we know is small outperforms uh, large, growth and value are about the same. Now, here's another one that, that is a truth the, the swings in value. Are much less than growth. That's right. So that would be the once again the standard deviation. So, and I the, think you can look the, at it with the lows are years. lower on growth, the highs are higher yep. on growth. So you have a smoother ride mm-hmm. over time yep. with value. And you can also measure that by uh, negative months and negative years in growth versus value. Value gives you a smoother ride that way too, less negatives. Okay. So when you're looking at just a very simple philosophy, okay. Mm-hmm. One thing so that, high that, by low. Well, yes, but even more so. Okay, okay, and that's that's basically what this yeah, is. It is. Base, but if you know that over the long term, small companies beat large companies, then it would be completely logical to say, if I can look over the short term, short term being, eh, not even one year, three or five years. Mm-hmm. Okay, and see that we've gone through an extended period of time where large companies have beat small. That you you would have to logically say that's going to revert back to the to the average mm-hmm. at some point. Small is going to beat large because longer term it does. So the only way for that to get back to that average would be for that to outperform. Mm-hmm. Now, same thing with growth and value. Mm-hmm. If the returns are about the same, and Over you look time. and mm-hmm. at the shorter term performance, then logically as an investor you should say, 
Well, if I go through a period where I'm looking at a three or a five year number on value and that is way ahead of growth, then I should go back to growth. And if I look at a three or five year number on growth Mm -hmm. and it's much better than value, I should go back to value. Reality is nobody does that. Okay, everyone looks at uh, the newspaper statements, Morningstar reports, and they say, show me what did best over the last one or three years. And that must be a great manager. And that's what I want to buy. Even advisors, even advisors, Uh, I have seen portfolios where they are. Advisors are 100% growth, and they just went there at the end of last year. Yes, and 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 really, when you're trying to find a good manager, okay, first of all, you have to start with the category, and I was mentioning this before yeah. the break. You have to start with the category and then compare them against their peers. So if you look at your 401k and you look at the small cap manager and you're comparing it to the large cap manager, and right now we've gone through a period where large has outperformed, and you just say, well, that manager must be better. Well, you're not making an apples-to-apples comparison. I just looked at one, Brad, Mm -hmm. just looked at one where their mid-cap value manager was terrible. Mm-hmm. compared to their peers was terrible. Now, you wouldn't know it by just looking at the raw numbers. You got to compare it against their peers. And I told that person, you should just invest in the index because that's your only other choice. So, you know, you, you have-, could have the same with growth, too. You could have a large cap growth manager. The last year it was up 15. And that's that sounds that's great. Full 10 percent worse than the index for what how he's supposed to be managing. But that 15 was better than probably the small cap value choice, if there was one, which probably a good one would have been flat to up five. Okay. Now, before we get into where we are, so the next logical question would be, okay, well, you guys told me how to do it. Now, where do we stand today? Real quick, growth versus value. What are the... What are the main differences, and and even maybe just looking at it by sector, or or really the yeah, main so the, difference? The the field of what that manager would be looking at, or the index itself, what they'd be looking at, is how those the gross sectors would be making up the economy. So right now, gross sector is going to be technology, then consumer discretionary, uh, healthcare, industrials. In value, it's going to be financials, usually number one, and certainly number one in mid and small financials, number one, and usually. The index is, is, a, is about 30% or a little over in small cap value. Um, then you're going to have energy and some utilities and real estate and telecom that are going to be in there. Consumer staples are going to be in there. Typically, you'll see a little bit higher dividend yield on value, a little bit slower growth, mm-hmm. more cash flow mm-hmm. Okay, yep. uh, on, on value, uh, typically less debt. On 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 the growth sectors, you don't you don't quite see as high of of, uh, of dividends. Now, what's interesting about technology is as those companies have grown and paid down debt and have really shored up their balance sheets since the dot com era, especially in large caps. We'll some start of those to see some, them in both. You start to see them in both. So uh, you know you start to see companies like Apple and Intel and Microsoft start to look more like uh, value stocks compared to where they were in the 1990s. And that's that's a that's a product of just becoming a more mature industry and a mature company. But in general, uh, those those are the sectors that you would see in those two particular areas. So when you look at that, let's let's start with uh, small versus large. OK, over the last three years, for example. Mm-hmm. OK, over the last three years. You have about a eleven percent a year, eleven point one percent a year on large, nine point three percent per year on small. Mm-hmm. Okay, so a so little here, more drastic in the last one year. It's about an eight percent difference in the last 18% one year. Eighteen percent on large in the last one year, and ten point nine on small. So here's what we were just talking about, Brad. Mm-hmm. 
The long-term returns of small companies are better than large companies, yet the short-term returns are the opposite. Mm -hmm. that's, the, that's the perfect setup for an investor to be contrarian and buy low yeah. and sell high. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's, it sounds like a simple thing, but it's easier said than done for most people. Yep. And even a more drastic on the last one year, large growth, 27%, small value, not even four. 3.9%. We're talking about a 24% difference in return. And yet, that's not what we're seeing people do. There is no sell high the large cap growth and buy small the small cap value or buy low the small cap value. And I'll tell you why. It's a lot easier to go the other way for people because what are you looking at for your holdings if you were to dig under the hood? Your large cap growth index is Apple, Microsoft, yeah, Amazon, like Facebook, Google. That's your top five. You love it. I, I feel great owning that. I feel good. I like now, that. Now, am I going to sell that? It's up 27. It's just going to keep going, right? You know, I, I, think, I, I, think, I think the old Peter Lynch uh, strategy, which did great for many, many years, okay? And it's still a good strategy. But I think it, it Peter Lynch managed Fidelity Magellan for many, many years. And his he was famous for just going out and seeing, you know, going to the malls, seeing what people own, buying what he liked. Yeah. Buy. And I think that, that that sometimes hurts people, Brad, because... That assumes that your little world that you live in is the whole world. And that is with the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Assumes that everything you do in your life is every possible investment that's out there. And what I mean by that is when you buy large cap growth, you feel all warm and fuzzy because you, oh, I, I love my iPhone. Yeah. Oh, I love Netflix. Yeah, I use Amazon every day. Yeah, but and, and, there and, are other things, though, and they're terrible stocks, right? I use Pandora every day. It's been a terrible stock. Most people have XM radio in their car. It's been a terrible stock. Right, that's what I mean. So so I think that gets taken to the extreme of... And it's very select. Buy what you like. Yeah. it's It doesn't always work, and not only that, but buying what you like doesn't take into account uh, the debt of the company. The management of the company and the how well. The expectations. The expectations. The expectations for iPhone 10 was 40 million phones, and they came out and said we're going to do just over 20 million. 
Well, it's still 20 million phones are going to sell, and the stock went down over before the, the, the mini crash. If perfection here. is priced in, it doesn't matter if you like it. So, so I want to make one more point before we go to the break. So that, that large cap growth, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Facebook, Google, here's small cap value. Here's what we're saying. You need to be selling, thinking about selling large growth to buy small value. Why, why is it hard to do small value? Here's your top holdings in the small value index. Bluebird Bio, MGIC Holdings Bank, Sterling Bank, um, I can't even pronounce it, Bank. Win Trust Financial. Okay, you never heard of any of them. Maybe I think Bluebird Bio might be also a dog food, cat food company, um, but it's basically a bio biomedical. But it, they're all tiny. They're all small. But what what is it easier for these companies with ten million of earnings to double to twenty million earnings, or for Apple to to go from twenty billion of earnings to forty billion of earnings? That's the point. Over time, it's easier for these smaller companies to grow just by the law of large numbers. And that's where we are. And if you haven't been invested there, then you have avoided a sluggish period for the last two years in small value. And you have benefited from this pile on and momentum trading that has happened with large value. Large I'll, I'll close with this, Brad. The, the, the last year, growth versus value including large, large and large and small, growth versus value in general, had the largest spread, 13 percent growth, growth over value going all the way back to 1999. And value had about an eight year run uh, beating growth after that. So not to say that it's going to start this year, because quite frankly, year to date, growth is still beating. Right. Uh, But it is it is adjustment after adjustment to get there 5% at a time to get there. That's right. And if it keeps going, then eventually you'll be completely out of what is overvalued. And that's what happened in 99 and 2000. And it, and it is starting to get that way now. That's right. And, and we don't know where the eventual pivot point will no. be, but we're going, you go with probabilities and you go with historical statistics and you know, it will come back. It's to not the an all in all out. It's, it's over time. And that's what the adjustments were earlier this year in our portfolio. And, and, I, well. and I, quite frankly, I could care less if anyone is looking at the three year number and saying, well, geez, you put me in a, a fund where the three year numbers doesn't look very good compared to that large cap growth. I don't care. I, I, I want to be correct. I don't want to be, uh, uh, Looking, I don't, uh, yeah, I don't want to look, have it look good. I want to be right. Well, that was the same years in, from now. in 16 we went to energy, and in 17 we went to financials. The one-year numbers were sharply negative. And mm-hmm. so anyone making that as their decision point would have never gone there. Let's take our next pause. We come back. I want to talk a little bit about the health of the economy and the health of the government balance sheet and why what you're hearing is not really uh, what is, is the case with, with debt especially. And just to give a little bit more backing for the, for, for the next rally that we're about to see. You're listening to Money Sense, the advisors of Kirsten Wealth Management Group. We'll be right back. With Americans enjoying longer and more productive retirement than ever, you need an investment portfolio that continues to work for you. At Kirsten Wealth Management Group, they specialize in solid, dependable financial advice designed to help you work toward your objectives in retirement. Whether your personal situation requires low volatility liquid assets or longer-term investments with potentially higher investment returns, it's important to first discuss your options with a trusted financial advisor. For more information or to schedule a consultation, call Dennis, Brad, or Kevin Kirsten at 419-872-0067. Securities offered through LPL Financial Member, FINRA, SIP. 
Are you retiring, changing jobs, or looking to reduce your taxable income? At Kirsten Wealth Management Group, we specialize in helping investors navigate these life-changing events. Whether retirement is around the corner or many years away, it is important to work with a fiduciary-focused advisor that will look out for your best interests. To schedule a free, no-obligation consultation, contact Dennis, Brad, or Kevin at Kirsten Wealth Management, 419-872-0067. Securities and advisory service offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA, SIPC. Whatever your financial goals, working with an independent financial advisor acting as your fiduciary has the potential to improve your chances of success. At Kirsten Wealth Management Group, we stay on top of the economy and markets so you don't have to. Using sophisticated planning tools and extensive research, we build long-term strategies that balance your financial objectives, time horizon, and risk tolerance. To find out more, contact Dennis, Brad, or Kevin at Kirsten Wealth Management, 419-872-0067. Securities and advisory service offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA, SIPC. It's hard to tell whose best interests some financial advisors have in mind. Our financial advice is based on fees, not commissions, because Kirsten Wealth Management offers no proprietary investment products. We are free to choose products that best meets clients' needs, which help to preserve the integrity of our investment advice because we follow a fiduciary standard. Our only goal is to help you reach yours. For more information or schedule a consultation, call Dennis, Brad, or Kevin at Kirsten Wealth Management, 419-872-0067. Securities and advisory service offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FIN. SIPC. And welcome back. You're listening to the Advisors of Kirsten Wealth Management Group. Brad and Kevin here with you this morning. If you are listening on iHeartRadio and didn't hear any of our ads, you can follow along with some of our commentaries on our website, KirstenWealth.com, and get a little information about us. Uh, Kevin, before the break, we were talking about growth versus value, large versus small. And you mentioned that, especially in, in large caps, it's a dead heat between growth and value. And over time, if all you did was sell your winners and growth to go back to value and rebalance back and forth. You're going to you're going to improve your return over time. Yeah, I mean the history there, uh obviously 95 to 2000 the dot com era growth uh in large caps outperformed greatly then from 2000 pretty much till 2006 value was the winner. Mm-hmm. And then from 2006 basically to today with maybe a couple of one year blips in there. Yeah. All the way since before the recession of 2008, it's, you've been, seen, growth it's, been, it's been growth over value. Yeah, so, well, yeah, I think we had two years in there where you had value beat growth, but then it went right back the other way. But that that's why we're, we're kind of pounding the table on it now. It has gone so long and is now getting to the point where it's so overvalued that people forget that there there are good stocks on the other side of the of the aisle, the other sectors, and they have kind of been forgotten and are almost undervalued. And you know what's point. ironic too, Brad, is that you know the, the price to earnings ratio that's a valuation mm-hmm. measure yeah. in the in the year 2000 on large cap growth just went through the roof 50 60 70 80 times earnings the valuations on large growth today aren't really that bad yeah okay so that's that's another sign of how undervalued uh the uh, the other large value is mm-hmm. uh but but i i wouldn't say that i expect large growth to completely fall off a cliff because those valuation metrics aren't bad absolutely yeah but i did want to mention one more thing before we wrap up the the value versus growth performance numbers in small cap are not a dead heat. In for uh, small cap growth index as measured by the Russell two thousand growth, the the five year average annual return rolling going all the way back to when they started the index is eight point six percent. So the five year average annual return eight point six percent as a rolling. And so we take all the five year rollings. That's what it is. The five year rolling for uh, small cap value. Russell 2000 value index, 12 and a half. And that's how you get that outperformance compared to large. It's not 
it's not from small growth. It's from small, small value. value. It's yeah. a 4% difference. And we're at a point where even here you have growth outperforming value when historically uh, it is a 4% difference. So if you're, if you're doing any small and you have a choice, obviously small value is, is where we would have uh, someone go. Kevin, I mentioned before the break, I wanted to talk a little bit about the economy and debt. We always hear all of these stats that are just so dumb about debt for the government or debt for individuals. The one, the one I just uh, nails on the chalkboard for me is that debt is at all-time high. Individual debt is at all-time high. And I know we've said it in the past, but so are people in the United States are at all-time high. But also so is income. So is every measure. There is only one where you could even find that chart going lower left, to upper right, and that is the dollar amount of debt. And what a stupid figure, because every other measure of how that debt is for an individual is lower. And think about your own mortgage. Before we did the show, I called uh, I, I called our, our, our dad to ask him what he, he remembers his first mortgage being. He, he couldn't quite remember what the first one was, but he says, I do remember having a 12 percenter. And I also remember when I got to refinance it down to seven and a half. And what a steal that seven and a half was. He couldn't wait to sign the paperwork and get out the door before they changed their mind. Seven and a half. And if you think about that, even on a $100,000 mortgage, 12% is going to be a $1, over a $1,000 payment. Refinance the same mortgage down to 7.5. It goes down by 32% to 700 bucks. And you refinance it down to the low from where we were about a year ago. It goes down to $400. That's deflation. That's money in your pocket. And even though the debt in this example is exactly the same, the cost of the debt is 60% less. And that's what the government has right now, too. Whether the debt goes up or not, the cost of the debt is either a flat line or going lower. And that's what we've seen. Right, Brad. And, and let's first talk about the national debt because it's, it, it's sold as something that we need, we need, well, we need to make sure we pay that off, you know, and, and, and it makes sense to everybody because they say to themselves, that's my goal. I want to get to retirement and have no debt. Right. Why wouldn't the government? Well, think about the government more like a business necessarily than an individual. Businesses throughout history have always had debt, even good ones. Mm-hmm. Apple has debt. Yeah. Wait a minute. They, they, have, have, they have cash on the sidelines. Why have, would they have debt? Because yeah. you're giving it away. Because it makes sense. Yeah on their balance sheet to have debt. So it's much more like a corporation. We will never pay off our debt. Oh, oh, we'll never pay off our debt. What do you mean? No, we will never pay off our debt, nor should we. Yeah, right. Okay. Does it need to be a reasonable amount as a percentage of various things? Yes. And I'm not going to say as a percentage of GDP because that's the biggest one. And I don't like it. And, And the reason why is the dollar amount of the debt does not really matter as much as what the debt costs us. Mm-hmm. Okay? For example, let's just throw it out there. Let's assume we had $19 trillion of debt, which we do now, and it was at 0% interest. Would it matter? Right. If it was 0% right. interest, right. would it matter? Well, if that is the answer is yes, which I think it, it, it is true. If you have 0% interest on the U.S. debt, it would not matter if right. that was a permanent thing. Right. Okay? Then you definitely have to say that... on the national debt versus 15, there's a difference. Mm -hmm. There has to be a difference. Mm -hmm. But many people look at our GDP, which is our total output of the economy at 19 trillion, and our debt at 19 trillion is basically one for one right now, and say that's a huge problem. But 
I, it got me thinking, well, no, because what that debt cost us is the, is the bigger thing. So when you look at debt as a percentage of GDP, it's not actually an all-time high. It was much higher after World War II, so we can start there, and we managed to get out of the stock market do pretty good from World War II to today? I think so. Mm-hmm. So how about uh, debt as a percentage, uh, the interest payments as a percentage of federal debt? Well, it's not even close mm-hmm. to an all-time high. The all-time high in terms of what we were paying on our interest was actually 1991. It was over 3%. So the interest payments on our debt, 1991 was the all-time high. Now, to me, that's all that matters. I mean, think about people, you know, your own mortgage, your own mortgage is, is the perfect example. Your, your first mortgage is smaller than your last mortgage, but you're also making more. And now interest rates have come down. I, I when think when you go to the, struggle to make their first mortgage payment much more than they've struggled to make the, the last one they just made last month. Well, and for what's, two different reasons. And you, what's more important to you when you have your mortgage payment, by the way, is it the payment itself or the balance? The payment, right? The payment is what matters. Okay, if you're if you're paying if you're getting a four and a half percent mortgage, which is pretty close to what it is right now on a thirty year, and you have a two hundred fifty thousand dollar house, okay, a five hundred thousand dollar house at nine percent uh, at at four and a half percent versus a two hundred fifty thousand dollar house at nine percent is the same payment. Okay, roughly. It's not perfect that yeah, way, but I'm just throwing it's out. Not, it's, not exactly. it's, it's not exact. But my point is, do you care about the balance or do you care about if you can make the payment? Yeah. Okay. And that's where we are with the government right now. We are at a level, Brad, that you have to go all the way back to the 1950s. We're 1.35 percent as a per, the interest payments as a percentage of of uh, of GDP. Mm-hmm. Go all the way back to the 1950s. The last time we were this low. It was much higher, much higher in the 1980s when interest rates were 10, 12, 15 percent. Mm-hmm. OK, that was a much more concerning period of time than today. Mm-hmm. Now, many, many people are saying, yes, but what about what if it what happens when interest rates start to rise? And, and the the lie that you'll be told is, oh, when interest rates go up, all this debt we have, we'll have to have more. We'll have more costs for that. No, it doesn't change. Issuing more would would create more. But the plan is already to issue much less and to roll some of this debt off. So it doesn't matter that rates are going to go up because we're not issuing as much. And the cost of our debt will go down because we're not issuing more. If the 10-year bond that we issued in 2009, in 2019 matures Mm -hmm. and interest rates are, pick a number, 5%, okay, if we don't issue a new bond, we don't pay more interest, Mm -hmm. okay, so also, uh, it doesn't a, happen all a 10 at once. Year also, bond that we issued five years ago is not affected by rates moving tomorrow. That's right. That that doesn't change. You don't. It doesn't get called in and reissued. It doesn't happen overnight. That's correct. So, you know, the, these numbers, yes, they're important. We we definitely need to start looking at things to 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 slow the rate of change down. But number one, we should never pay it off. And number two. What we're paying right now is not even as high as it was in the 1980s in terms of interest payments as a percentage of GDP. The other thing that's always told out there, Brad, is, well, you know, it's just what if the Chinese just decide, uh, you know, they want to call all this debt in? Well, over 13 trillion of the 19 trillion dollars in debt is owned by the American people. Huh? Well, the Federal Reserve 
your pension fund, your mutual fund, your your uh, aggregate bond index. Mm-hmm. Okay, thirteen trillion of the national debt is owned by the American people. Only one point three trillion is owned by China. One point one trillion is owned by Japan, but we never talk about them. But and then three point eight trillion is everyone else. So. I that's not you know, you can't just dismiss it all together and say, well, it's no big deal because we owe back it ourselves because it's still a big number. But well, the, uh, the but idea that the Chinese could somehow to, hold us over a barrel is ridiculous. And, and to do what they're going to sell it to what by German bonds uh, that would give them point three percent instead of our two point seven five. Right now, one idea that's being floated out there, uh, I've heard quite a few economists talk about this, Brad, which I love is to say, well, if if the thirty year treasury is three percent, why why wouldn't we, at these rates why wouldn't we do a fifty year a hundred year treasury? Yeah, yeah. people it, would buy it. If someone's going to buy it, let's let's do it, and then we won't have to issue any for the next twenty years. Then we'll have basically refinanced, which is what all the individuals have been doing. Yes, refinanced at at low rates for fifty or a hundred years, mm-hmm. and then even if short term interest rates go up, it won't matter. I mm-hmm. think that's a great idea. The other thing is is getting spending under control. And but but what I will say is we're not going to get spending under control with any of the debates that are currently going on in Washington. Mm Fifty one percent of all the money we spend is Social Security and Medicare. Mm -hmm. Fifteen fifteen percent is defense, which, by the way, defense uh, was over 20 percent in the Reagan era as Mm -hmm. a percentage as a percentage of the budget. And now it's down to 15. So it's even with Trump putting it up there, it's not going to go anywhere near where it was in the Reagan era. 15% is defense. So everything else that they argue about, a couple hundred million here, a couple hundred million there, is important. I'm not saying it's not, but it's not going to move the needle on the overall pace of change of our debt. The only thing that moves the needle is talking about Social Security and Medicare. I don't even want to talk about entitlement reform because people say, oh, well, what what is that? They assume it's like welfare or food stamps or something. No, Social Security and Medicare need to be addressed or there's no point in any other discussion we have. Let's keep uh, on this discussion after the break uh, talking about the government and the economy is a lot healthier than you're being told uh, with a few more things that we think are important. You're listening to Advisors of Kirsten Wealth Management Group. We'll be right back. Are you retiring, changing jobs, or looking to reduce your taxable income? At Kirsten Wealth Management Group, we specialize in helping investors navigate these life-changing events. Whether retirement is around the corner or many years away, it is important to work with a fiduciary-focused advisor that will look out for your best interests to schedule a free, no obligation consultation. Contact Dennis, Brad, or Kevin at Kirsten Wealth Management, 419-872-0067. Securities and advisory service offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA, SIPC. Whatever your financial goals, working with an independent financial advisor acting as your fiduciary has the potential to improve your chances of success. At Kirsten Wealth Management Group, we stay on top of the economy and markets so you don't have to. Using sophisticated planning tools and extensive research, we build long-term strategies that balance your financial objectives, time horizon, and risk tolerance. To find out more, contact Dennis, Brad, or Kevin at Kirsten Wealth Management, 419-872-0067. Securities and advisory service offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA, SIPC. It's hard to tell whose best interests some financial advisors have in mind. Our financial advice is based on fees, not commissions, because Kirsten Wealth Management offers no proprietary investment product. We are free to choose products that best meets clients' needs, which help to preserve the integrity of our investment advice, because we follow a fiduciary standard. Our only goal is to help you reach yours. For more information or schedule a consultation, call Dennis, Brad, or Kevin at Kirsten Wealth Management, 419-872-0067. Securities and advisory service offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FIN. NRA SIPC. 
The amount of information available to today's investor means the big picture can be overwhelming. At Kirsten Wealth Management Group, we help you sort through the clutter, bring your investment goals into focus, and design a portfolio to help you meet them. We stay focused on the one thing that matters most, finding well-management investments one at a time through intensive financial analysis and hands-on research. For more information or to schedule a consultation, call Dennis Brad or Kevin Kirsten at 419-872-0067. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC. The show, you're listening to the advisors of Kirsten Wealth Management Group, Kevin Kirsten and Brad Kirsten. Brad, we were talking about the economy, the health of the economy, and how it's it's very difficult. You, it's hard to put it in perspective because you hear a lot of things out there. You hear a lot about the stock market and valuations. You hear a lot about debt and deficits and things like that. Now, one thing that I think we uh, uh, have talked about multiple times on the show is is debt, both at the at the government level. Yes, it's it's increasing. It's high. It's not. We talked a little bit about how it's not quite as concerning as maybe you might think because interest rates are so low. Debt is one of the things that caused the 08 financial crisis. Debt on the corporate and the individual level. On the individual level, I'm looking at the chart right here. This says as a percent of disposable income, it, it's a 40 year low. Right. Okay. I, I, and I I kept saying that last year. We've we've ticked up just slightly, but. It is almost at all-time lows a year ago when people were talking about the dollar amount of the debt being at a high. And corporate debt, as a percentage of the market cap of S&P 500 corporations, is also half of what it was in, at the peak in 2007 before the 08 crash. So corporate debt is cut in half. Individual debt is at a 40-year low. So, you know, that's the reason we're not going to have a huge sell-off. It gives you a backstop. Companies don't have to fire because they really haven't hired anybody that they didn't need. Wages haven't gone up that much. They haven't levered up. They haven't levered up their companies. That was that was the worry for the last two, three years is we didn't have any wage inflation. We didn't have any inflation at all. And now two weeks ago, when we first get an uptick in some inflationary figures, the market gets spooked. It finally realized that all of this is what we've been waiting for. And we had some good inflation numbers this week, too. Housing starts on Friday were more than double what they were expected to be. 4.3% was the expectation. It was 9.7% year over year higher. And so the CPI this week was was higher, uh, 2.1 versus 1.9 expected. And I think maybe that number helped the market this week because much was made about wages and the inflation it would cause. And I think when people stepped back and looked and said, wait a minute, I'm making more money and that's a bad thing. I'm spending more money and that's a bad thing. How is that bad for the economy? But also 2.1. Right. 2.1. Really? I'm going to freak out about 2.1 versus 1.9. Call me me when it's 4 or 5 or 6. Then then we'll start getting nervous. Yeah. But all of that eventually will make its way into spending. Spending makes its way into earnings. All of that is is what we expect to happen. So when we get it, let's not be let's not be surprised. And the other thing is is the rising interest rates that spooked the economy. And just invest for it. We're going to keep having rising interest rates. Okay. We're going to be higher before the end of the year and we'll be higher a year from now. So invest in the stock areas of the stock market that do, will do well. One of them is financials. And if you do that growth to value adjustment, you're getting financials. In large caps, you're getting them. In small caps, you're really getting them. So you're you're already making a tactical decision to invest in sectors of the economy that will do better when interest rates go up uh, if you have financials as you're overweight. Well, and, and you have to be contrarian, Brad. And you have to sort of swim against the crowd when you're when you're investing. Uh, I know this oversimplifies things, but if you go back even the last 25 or 30 years 
And, and you did the exact opposite of what all your friends were doing. Yeah. And everyone, you, you did the exact, I, I, think about it. You would, what you would have done. Okay. In the early nineties, uh, in the eighties, banks and financials did great. Yeah. In the early nineties, you would have bought, you would have bought technology and you would have done great. Yeah. Then in, in 98, 99. Okay. Value did terrible. Mm-hmm. Value and, and banks did terrible. In fact, small cap value had negative years. As, as the economy was booming and the dot-com era was going, small cap value had negative years. Real estate had mm-hmm. negative years. Mm-hmm. The, the, the asset class of real estate had negative years in the late 90s. What did everybody do? Let's buy dot-com stock because that's what everybody's doing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then when the year 2000 hit and technology stocks got cut in half, you know what you made money on? Real estate. Yeah. And financials. Financials. Yeah. Small cap value, up years mm-hmm. in 2000 and 2001. Nobody wanted to own them, and now all of a sudden they turn. So if you're now, ironically to- enough, off the bottom of the market in 2002, you know what was the best thing to own? Real estate. Technology. Technology, yeah. Technology. And so everyone, when we got to 2008, Brad, looked at small cap value, looked at financials, looked at real estate, and they said, well, you know, when the dot-com bubble burst, you wanted to own real estate and financials. What did the worst in 08? Yeah. Real estate and financials. So if you literally did the exact opposite of yeah. what the crowd was doing in the last 25 years, you'd have tremendous performance. That's really what we're talking about now. If you're worried about the length of this bull market or the, the, the amount that we've moved since the election, just upgrade your portfolio. Don't be in what has moved the most. And, and that will upgrade the quality of your portfolio going forward. You'll have what is cheaper. You'll have where the, the P.E. ratios are lower. And you'll be doing the opposite of the crowd. And right now, it's it's pretty important, I think, to be doing that. You would have also avoided Bitcoin earlier this year, by the way. <laughs> That's right. So all of the reasons to just avoid that trend following, especially when it goes on this long. It's fine off the bottom. Things will move. They'll move a little further than you think. But eventually, you do have to avoid it entirely. And I think that's where we are. We're getting that, that way. And before the end of the year, we'll probably be there. You know, it, it, call us during the week if you have any questions about what you heard on the show. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with you next week. You've been listening to Money Sense, brought to you each week by Kirsten Wealth Management Group. To contact Dennis, Brad, or Kevin professionally, call 419-872-0067 or 800-875-1786. Their email address is kirstenwealth at lpl.com, and their website is kirstenwealth.com. Opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your financial advisor prior to investing. Securities are offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.